Welcome to the GC On Demand podcast, a show about people, about process, about technology, about community. It's great conversations with great technologists about things that matter to you, that matter to all of us. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to visit gcondemand.io for all of the show notes. And with that, let's get started. All right, welcome to the GC On Demand podcast. Uh, my name is Eric Wright. I'm uh, at Disco Posse on Twitter, as well as Disco Posse in the Green Circle community. So, of course, you can just go to greencirclecommunity.com. Uh, you can find me there. Uh, you can always find me on Twitter. And uh, I'm lucky enough to have a, a repeat guest, someone who we had a chance to chat with. And if you're in the Green Circle community, you also know him very well. Or if you're on Twitter, uh, he's VCDX133 to most of you. He's a good friend and uh, and a great mentor to me and many of us in the community. Uh, we have Renee, uh, Renee Vandenbedem. Uh, welcome, Renee. If you want to introduce yourself, reintroduce yourself to the new folks, and uh, we're going to talk a bit about VMworld 2017 US announcements. Thanks very much, Eric. Yep. So, Renee at VCDX133, VCDX133.com, triple VCDX, and an MPX as well. Thank you. Yeah, the, the, the triple. I, before we get started, so is there anyone who's gone over and above on that one? Is there, is there a fourth that you can take home on uh, and take that title or what? <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of work, mate. Um, yeah, so there's three triple VCDXs at the moment. Yeah, and, and no quads. But I imagine someone's planning it somewhere. <laughs> yeah, well, and I guess that's, you know, we'll, we'll talk a bit about some of the announcements and with, with cloud becoming a huge focus, I would imagine that we may see some, some cloudy version of a VCDX beyond the traditional CMP uh, show up. It would be, it'll be interesting to see uh, whether, whether public cloud becomes part of the rubric in, in defining things. But um, um, yeah. yeah, so definitely in the VCDX cloud blueprint, um, there will be provision in the future for extensibility and interoperability. Definitely something that I know has been discussed. Um, and in the current version of the VCDX cloud blueprint, it's very VCD, v, uh, cloud, V cloud director focused, but um, you can definitely have hybrid versions in there for sure. That's allowed. Yeah, it's funny that we could almost do a whole podcast alone just on on why that exists. You know, vCloud directors, when we sort of like chuckle as if it's gone away or something, but it's sort of the only true stand-up multi-tenant cloud, private cloud that VMware has in, in front of them today. Uh, and we've yeah. got, there's quite a few installations. While it's not a huge, not a runaway hit or anything, there's a lot of them and there are a lot at high scale, I think, as well, which is what's interesting. It's going to take a long time before we see that you know, morph yeah. or become whatever it is to be next. Yeah, for sure. And definitely vCloud Director is really the only um, uh, cloud product that VMware has at the moment that allows you to have true separation of a provider and organization. So it's a true multi-tenant um, uh, solution. Integrated VMware integrated, sorry, vSphere integrated OpenStack. I don't know enough about OpenStack stack to have an opinion but i think that is also true multi-tenant is that right yeah so there there it is possible in the constructs of vo to do multi-tenant as well uh, i would imagine that there aren't a huge amount of them out in the wilds but what is cool about that is 
you know, obviously we just had the version, the next availability, uh, release availability. So with 4.0 that came out at, in, uh, in Las Vegas and that moves up to the Okata release, which is the latest and greatest on the OpenStack side, which is cool. They've actually kept a really, really good momentum. Yeah. Um, but yeah, same thing. It's, I think that was just definitely, to, it feels like it's to, to make sure that they're not losing ground on potential raw OpenStack delivery. And I think what's the advantage is, is if it, it maps nicely to your current vCenter, you know, mappings, it's different in the way that it actually creates the way it does like Nova, you know, clustering and, and the, the abstractions are different. It's kind of confusing sometimes. It's not confusing for VMware people, but it is confusing for, for OpenStack people, the way that it maps and, and treats, you know, vCenters as, as endpoints versus the cluster endpoints. Uh, it's sort of an interesting map there, but. Yeah. Um, and, and VRA, when you, when you talk to VRA purists about what's the biggest weakness with VRA and what, what would they like to see, multi-tenancy is something that comes up a lot. Yeah, and you know, do you see out in the fields that there's a lot of folks that are starting to, to look for that or they just, they've kind of lived with it not being available because it's, it's a struggle to get it stood up? Yeah. Yeah, no, good question. So when I was in the service provider space, it was something we always worried about, yeah, because obviously if you're a public cloud provider or a vCloud Air network partner and you want to deliver uh, public cloud services and that's something that you really care about, uh, for what I'm doing at the moment, most of my customers are enterprise, so VRA meets their requirements quite nicely. Even if you're a, a global company and you're treating um, subsidiaries as... Uh, subsidiaries as tenants, VRA meets their requirements, right? Um, yeah, it's not as though you need like isolated, you know, like Chinese wall separation between data yeah. necessarily. It's there's yeah. there's a bit of co-location. You can treat cluster boundaries as a enough of a physical and logical separation that it it'll suffice in many cases. Yeah. Yeah. So VO was neat. That was uh, one. It was nice to see them sort of shoot out of the gate. Uh, as an OpenStack fan, I loved that they led with that. So, but it was because it was going to quickly be surpassed by a, a slew of other announcements. Uh, yeah. You know, you you wanted to cover some good ones. Let's let's kind of go. So P the the pivotal piece. So, which, so so just on integrated OpenStack, what was interesting in the highlights that they had multi vCenter support. Uh, there was additional integration with VRA, which is kind of cool. And there yes. was also container support, which, which was the other big one. Yeah, and I, and I guess that's, that's the important piece that we're starting to see is that containers are, are you know, we call it first-class citizens now, <clears throat> pretty much across every platform. And, you know, being able to, within OpenStack, in the context of VO, to be able to have container support is, is pretty cool. Uh, and again, it'd be interesting to see in fields you know, how many folks are, are doing that on vSphere integrated OpenStack specifically. Uh, but yeah, it's, you know, as a fan of containers and how they solve a very specific set of challenges, it's, it's kind of cool yeah. to see that. Because vSphere integrated OpenStack, it's something that I talk about a lot with customers, but to be honest, for me, I've not had one customer invest in it. Yeah, I think... I'm not sure why. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what the what the numbers are, you know, and and I know they don't necessarily call out the customer counts in in everything, but uh, yeah, it's it's I I've I've talked to a lot of people about it, same thing, but I've 
I haven't seen a production installation of one as yet in, in my field experience. So because yeah. I think uh, vSphere integrated OpenStack is actually included in your enterprise license. Yes. Center server. So it's kind of something that you, you're getting as part of your vSphere investment. So I would have expected it to be a lot more popular. Yeah, I'm surprised that more people haven't stood it up as an old school. Uh, I did an OpenStack on vSphere implementation with the traditional drivers way back when. That's like Havana days. And, you know, I did all this yak shaving to get it up and up and going. And it works great. You know, I, would, I wouldn't necessarily think that someone would want to stay behind and support it. So when I left that organization, so did the integrated OpenStack <laughs> that I created <laughs> just because no one was confident that they could kind of keep it running, which is what I love about the, the VO is that they do have upgrade paths for it. So they've, they've yeah. done well to do that day two management bit, uh, which is still a huge gap in, in, in just straight up vanilla OpenStack. Yeah. Because the other way to do OpenStack would be the SaaS offering, like from um, uh, Platform 9 and, and whatnot, wouldn't it? Yeah, Platform 9's got a really neat model. Uh, you know, and again, I think the people that are doing a lot of the stuff, at first I worried that like pure subscription-based systems are going to be tough for people to think about you know, or, or take on. But again, Walking around in the fields, I see it all over the place and people are just, they're like, hey, look, we know we don't want to deal with it and it's one less FTE and I can pay for it and I've got a 100% coverage. So it's pretty cool. Because Cisco have also got an offering as well. Is it Marantis? Is yeah. There yeah. Offering? And they've got, it's like Red Hat under the covers and, and Marantis that did the support of it and a lot of... Yeah. Uh, you know, Red Hat has their own sort of supported distributions, uh, not quite the same, but uh, yeah, it's there, there's more and more. It's definitely, you know, everything as a service is kind of the, the new tactic. Yeah. One of the very popular conversations I have and I see actually being deployed in the field is just very basic infrastructure as a service where that's a requirement for ServiceNow customers. They're just using the uh, ServiceNow orchestrator to talk directly to vCenter server. Yeah, I basic services. I've seen like Scalar is another one. Uh, S C A L R. I'm not to be confused with Scalar or Scalar. There's like there's a lot right. of them. The new startup thing is just remove one vowel from the word, and then that's that's the new thing. So uh, so Scalar has a a great you know uh, management you know self service management platform, which is pretty slick. Uh, and you need you need to pay for enterprise support to get the vSphere side of it. Um, but again, it's you know people are willing to pay it because they know it's, it's worth it to get that, that first layer stood up. Cause I know VRA is, uh, is can be challenging for a lot of folks to kind of figure out how to deploy it, especially with resiliency. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of containers and, uh, and moving up the stack, you know, what I saw was applications was the focus. You know, we saw day one, it was, they talked about, you know, it's all about the apps. I, I like that they layered through this, this neat, you know, it's a great setup for a lot of things that were coming. They talked about being able to get the applications you want to be able to get the comfort level you need on any cloud with intrinsic security. And that was a neat you know, way of saying like, hey, everybody else may be able to do something neat, but check this out. Have they got, you know, intrinsic security? And I, I, and I, that's, that started into a lot of the announcements that, you know, can lay into that. And, you know, Cloud Foundry, 
being that it's from a separate arm of the former EMC Federation, the now Dell conglomerate or whatever they call it. <laughs> Dell, Dell Technologies. Is Dell the, Technologies, yeah. Is the conglomerate, the Federation. So what did you think about PKS and yeah. that launch? Oh, so it's exciting, that's for sure. Uh, there's a lot of Cloud Foundry out there. Um, obviously, Cloud Foundry is using Garden at the moment, which is not true containers. Um, Kubernetes, I think, is recognized as being the leader in the container space at the moment, right, along kind of neck and neck with Docker. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. It's, you know, a Docker has had their own interesting struggles around, you know, Docker Incorporated, you know, Docker LLC, whatever, like the enterprise side of it and, yeah. and the, the, the underneath platform. Just because Docker Swarm, you know, you'd think, hey, why wouldn't I go to the folks that created the platform to get them to do the scheduler but kubernetes is a much more advanced scheduler truthfully like my my bet sasha was on on mesos and what they could do you know with the you know, the underlying scheduler for that it's kind of like beta versus vhs it was it's probably the better scheduler in a lot of senses but right. it's also you know it didn't have the popularity and kubernetes is a huge community around it yeah. i mean it's the fact that Pivotal Container Services is called PKS, not PCS. Yeah, <laughs> we've we've broadly accepted our Kubernetes overlords, and and Google calls you know Google Google Container Engine is GKE, not not GCE. So it's yeah, so it makes sense. Yeah, so so definitely in the container ecosystem up until now, obviously always the problem when you talk about production level containers for the enterprise. Uh, always security and networking, and I think storage as well. They're kind of the three pieces of the puzzle that are missing. Uh, this announcement to me kind of fills in those gaps, right, because they're using vSphere and NSX and vSAN as, as the underlying um, infrastructure abstraction solution. Yeah, the thought is that we've already invested a lot in, in this base layer infrastructure and virtualization. Why wouldn't we try to extend it? And it's we fought this in the OpenStack community that, no one wanted it to become like stop mapping to what VMware and, and Citrix and, and Microsoft were doing. Right. But like, well, if you're going to map yourself against something successful, then why not, you know, start to adopt some of those methodologies or some of those, yeah. those styles. And, and I think there, the trick is if you're an open source advocate and if you're prepared to invest in having your own engineering team doing all that work for you and you're doing your own support, great. But if, if you're running with a limited budget and a limited headcount and you don't have these superstars who are completely and totally invested in that technology set, then how are you going to run that as a production ecosystem? You know, you need, you need someone to lean on. And yep. if you're in that business, then this, this makes a great fit, I think. Yeah, I mean, it, just the fact that we look at even in the Kubernetes world, they're like, oh, it's fine. Just roll your own Kubernetes in-house and just get a great set of engineers that'll run it. The fact that Google has basically evacuated most of their developer advocates, and they've all gone to Microsoft in the last week and a half. So no, nothing is permanent when it comes to staffing. So you, yeah. you do want to find a platform that's going to have a bit of longevity to it, especially for enterprise stuff. Now, are, are you seeing a lot of of Cloud Foundry and, and like platform as a service stuff happening yes. in your experience? Uh, yeah, I am, particularly in the Cincinnati area. There's two companies that are very heavily invested in that ecosystem. So we're actually doing quite a bit of work for them. 
Um, so, you know, Byron Schaller, friend of the community as well. He's heavily involved. Uh, also, Paul Craddock, also a friend of the community. Yeah. So, in the Ohio area, there is actually quite a bit of uh, Cloud Foundry out there. Nice. Yeah, and I, I like the idea. I I do occasionally... I'm at odds internally with, I, I love, you know, James Waters and the, and the crew that are leading out some of the stuff they're doing and Josh McKenty of, I've known him from OpenStack days. The challenge is that they still seem to be very heavy handed that they believe they've solved all the problems, but they're still, I would, I've never seen a cloud foundry. This is all you need solution. Same as hyperconverged or or any single yeah. platform. There is no that's a hammer. I've got a hammer. Therefore, you must be a nail kind of problem. And you know, I said, good on them. You mad respect that they've got good growth and good uptake. Uh, but I, I'm a little worried that they still are leading with this idea that they can you can get rid of the other things you've got because you've got this PaaS layer that works. Right. Yeah. And also you look at some of so that type of thinking, you look at what VMware was trying to do with vCloud Air Network and whatnot, which didn't work well. Now they're collaborating with the leaders in those spaces and definitely there's a lot more exciting announcements this year and you can see that collaboration rather than competition is is a better fit. Yeah, and it's a it's a bit of a sleeper hit from their their revenue side as well. It contributes a significant portion, you know, like a small double digit, I think, of their percentage revenue comes from the vCloud Air Network. So it's yeah. well, we kind of thought it went away. It, it's it just got it got outsourced or offloaded, but the business itself is still fairly strong. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, and also vCloud Air. I think that. All of those assets were acquired by a company in European OV, OVH, yes. Yeah, OVH picked them up. They had a monstrous booth at VMworld. Uh, you know, and that was neat too. So VMworld had a very an interesting feel. It, was, it, was, it wasn't very fast-paced. Uh, the announcements were neat. Uh, the general community took it in. They all kind of nodded through it. Nothing was like ooh, ah, uh, wow, because it was sort of releasing stuff that had been talked about for a while. The pivotal piece was cool. Um, but again, it was, it was more just solidifying uh, rumors and, and we all kind of guessed that the ecosystem is heading this way. So it's just kind of nice to see it actually play out. And yeah, and to see the, the vendors on the floor, you know, obviously sort of OVH had a big presence and a few of the other vCloud Air network partners were, were pretty strong there. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of big announcements, I guess the one that they they wanted to lead with was this idea of of VMware Cloud on AWS, and they talked about it. Was it was it actually at last year's VMworld that they did talk about it already, or was it? I yeah, I think, I think it was announced there. Yeah, yeah it was. So it, was, it could be the worst kept kept secret, you know, that it took a year to roll it to to production. That was in key development partners, as they called it, a handful of customers that are some pretty big names. Uh, but what what do you think about VMC on AWS, and and what's the kind of impact that we're going to see in the? In yeah, so so I wasn't I I applied for the beta, but obviously slots were very limited, so I haven't seen it, haven't touched it, or played with it. Uh, but definitely, it makes sense. If you're a customer that's completely invested in the VMware ecosystem and you don't want to partner with another public cloud provider that is not vCloud Air Network, 
uh, it makes it makes a lot of sense. I think the only thing that I'm not sure of is is the pricing at the moment. So I see they've posted that on their product page, but I still haven't gone through and compared that to what Microsoft Azure does and also what um, AWS does and Google Cloud as well. Yeah, is comparisons it- are. It's funny for the size of the Google Cloud too. I always treat it that way. Like we know there's there's two key players and the third step on the podium, it's clearly occupied by Google, but it's I've yet to really bump into it from a pure virtualization compute, you know, replacement in the field. Containers, huge, right? If you yeah. want AI, if you want machine learning, hands down, no one will tell you that you should be anywhere but there. AWS is starting to obviously raise their stakes in, in that game. But uh, yeah, for, for pricing wise, we always go up against the enterprise partners and that's AWS and Azure. Yeah. Now, yes, very interesting. Just need to get my hands on it and have a look at it. Yeah, I think, and the fact that it's a minimum of four hosts at a, that kind of sets the bar fairly. The floor yeah. is is fairly high. Uh, you know, not people aren't just going to dabble in it. So it's, the people that are ready to go, they've got to have a pretty good use case in hand. And I think there's a lot of neat ones. The one I worry about is uh, no one's really thought about the egress, ingress charges. And I think while we may know the pure fixed price monthly of VMC, you know, for the dedicated host package, thinking about data movement in and out, you know, backing up those resources. If you back them up from VMC and AWS to S3, you're, you're in good shape. If you're restoring back to on-prem, well, now you've, you've got an interesting challenge because you've got yeah. charges and, and such. Yeah. Well, like, for instance, what Rubrik has done is pretty cool. They've got, uh, you can run a Rubrik cluster as EC2 instances and, um, uh, and store all of your cloud-based backups in the cloud, which I think is kind of the architectural answer to what you're talking about. Yeah, it was interesting. We talk about backups and, and resiliency partners that, you know, Veeam was the only one that I saw. I haven't done a broad uh, research on it, but they were the only ones that came out of the gate with a new version of the products that's ready to support VMware Cloud and AWS because there is limited administrative access to the host layer outside of the API. And even the API is only a higher level set of access. So I believe that Veeam actually had to do some pretty good rework in order to get the platform to be able to support VMware Cloud and AWS. So it's obviously, you know, everyone else is going to be pretty quick to get behind it. But the fact that you had to re-architect tells you that, it's there's it's not a it's not a trivial task yeah exactly exactly and the fact that you mentioned that veeam was the first ones to announce this that makes sense because veeam has obviously been partner vmware partner ecosystem number one back from the early days before vcenter operations manager even came into existence right that was yeah (laughs) yeah it's funny when you think that time there veeam at one point were were sort of pushed out a bit because when VMware started to get into the backup game with their own uh, their own products, they were trying to dabble a bit more in it. And obviously SRM started to come into play with some stuff. And I think they had to do a, a bit of a hard pushback against some of their backup partners, which was tough. And Veeam 
was one like they weren't they couldn't go to PEX one year the pl- the partner exchange so but obviously the time has wounded has healed those wounds <laughs> and yeah. and we're all back at the table again which is cool yeah and I think they've done a good job with reinventing themselves and adding features that customers actually need right yeah but they're definitely a leader in their space that's for sure now talk about apps and intrinsic security you know i think we saw a couple of big things that came out and these are you know service offerings which is kind of or as a service offerings which is kind of neat so act defense was a brand new piece it had been rumored for a while in the in the press yeah Uh, so it's pretty cool i like the i love the concept again it it, it's going to take a bit more of a of a mature customer to be ready to really dive in and, and fully leverage it. I don't, every could, but are people really ready to own, administer and, and, but the fact that it's an as a service offering means you can kind of buy it as you, as you scale and you don't get stuck with having to stand it up on day one, like you were used to in some yeah. stuff. And, and, and VMware have been smart. So when you look at NSX, they've got the NSX API. That's how you partner with other companies for the 80-20 rule, you know, 20% yeah. of your use cases are very specialized, so lean on your partner ecosystem for that. With uh, App Defense, they've been smart in partnering with Carbon Black. Yes. Make it a SaaS offering as well, very easy to consume. The only part that I'm not sure of is, I think it is agent-based. I think you do have to install an agent in the guest operating system. Um, yes. That part was not clear. Yeah, that's that's my understanding as well. We can we'll probably I'm sure I'll get yelled at for one way or the other from folks who listen to this, and they'll be like, "Oh, yes, yeah." Uh, but yes, yeah. It's, to the best of my knowledge, there is an agent required to get that deep yeah. level, which, which makes, makes sense. sense. It yes. makes sense, right? Unless it's right. really supported by the guest operating system. How else do you get your hooks into into uh, what's going on within the operating system? Yeah, if you could get that level of data without it, I'd be concerned. <laughs> Probably, right? right? You're effectively running a tap, like a port span, you know, a span port, you know, against the the NIC, you know, virtual or not. So it's pretty yeah. interesting. Yeah. Now, another service, you know, that's coming out is the NSX bits. So being able to run NSX as a cloud service, and, and we talked about NSX yep. transformers. Uh, what's your thoughts on the NSX side of the announcements? So definitely NSX, that was also very impressive. So obviously you've got NSX Transformers 2.0. So there just the higher level was uh, support for multi-domain networking, automation with OpenStack, uh, micro-segmentation, VMs and containers, uh, CNI, plug-in integration for Kubernetes, uh, on-prem support, remote, public, and hybrid data centers. Uh, and also native AWS with VMware secure networking, right? So what you can see here is uh, Transformers is what's going to be used as the glue to to bind public clouds, private clouds, and hybrid clouds together. Um, interesting stuff. Uh, NSX Transformers still doesn't have feature parity with uh, NSX for vSphere, right? So, but that's something that they're that they're working on. Uh, they also announced VMware Cloud Services, which is uh, supporting native AWS, uh, Azure, and vSphere at the moment. So this is kind of how you would bind public clouds together along with private clouds. Yeah. 
they also had some interesting insight into their VM, uh, VMC integration with AWS as well, with how the native AWS networking integrates with the uh, VMC on AWS networking as well, right? So there's a lot of engineering effort that's gone into that. Uh, and the other thing was the announcement of uh, VRNI 3.5, right? So that supports public cloud as well as additional on-premises third-party integration. So quite a few announcements there. On their own, don't mean a lot, but when you see how they've bundled them together and they talk about this strategy for... So the NSX vision is basically NSX everywhere. Right? Yeah. That's a lot of work and it's impressive. So if they can pull that off, that'd be great. Yeah, and it's funny if you think of, you know, there, if you look at the way that the the magician thing, right? It's the idea of there's there's the turn, which is, you know, the distraction. This is like, you yeah. know, we, VMware Cloud and AWS is, is this, uh, and people kind of look at it like, ooh, that's really neat. However, the prestige <laughs> is cross-cloud services, cross-cloud, you know, yeah. architecture. And that's, I think, is the longer game that they're playing and it'd be interesting to see how it all plays out, especially because they have a, a notoriously long engineering cycle in VMware, you know, in the past anyways, uh, they've, they've been, they've got micro teams that seem to roll out stuff a lot more rapidly. Yeah. Uh, but you know, you're seeing people that I know that left the company two years ago and their stuff just went to production, you know, very recently. So it's, it does take a while to support that level of enterprise grade and, and at a customer size that, that they have to. Do, do you get the impression that they've improved those cycles now that they're trying to do? Yeah. Responsive? I, I think they had to go back to core. Like when the greatest thing that they did, which they got ravaged by both the community and the shareholders at one point was to separate VMworld from the GA delivery. And so they announced, it was probably, it was three years ago, I think was the first time they did it, where they made the announcements and they were meant to come out in January. It was like 5.5, I think was the vSphere release. And so by doing that, people are like, oh, this is terrible. Why, why can't I just go download it now? But that's, that's our sort of Twitter, you know, I want it now microwave lifestyle we have. And what it did was it meant that you could, from that point forward, separate the announcements at the events and the customer stories and the use cases from the GA release date. And so they also got a chance to take a year off in effect. And you know, like any baseball or hockey team does that, they call it the rebuild year, right? Where they redevelop the team. I think that was this. Do you remember the 6.0 beta vSphere 6.0, how long that went for? Yes. VMware, were, they were announcing it and doing blog posts, but anyone from the community that wanted to do blog posts gets slapped on the rest. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. So I think that was, that was the point where they realized they had to, and the V realized stuff, you know, that the, I always loved that they would buy something. So VMware would buy a company and then 24 hours later, there'd be a press release. They called it VMware, VMware V realized that thing. Like it was like, we just announced we bought a new water company. It's called V realized water. <laughs> and it, but slapping the sticker on the, on the box didn't mean that it was truly integrated and they've gotten better at getting a unified look. So a lot of the V realized sweet stuff now looks the same, you know, yeah. look and feel, which is, you know, long overdue, I think, and good on them. It's tough, you know, at the scale that they're working at to be able to 
to keep velocity like that. Well, and that leads us into the next announcement, which was uh, VMware validated designs 4.1. And that kind of also lends itself to, to uh, VMware cloud foundation. Yeah. It's, you know, people doing the hard yards in advance by defining reference architectures beyond, we used to just be the HCL, right? We had the hardware compatibility list and that was as VVD as you could get. Yeah. But you've seen VMware validated designs and as someone who's carved out many a reference architecture in his time, you know, how do you feel about where things are in the VVD process and, and that ecosystem? Yeah, so it, it's, it's gaining a lot of maturity. They definitely, they have a team dedicated to this uh, and they're serious about it. This is not a, a pet project. This is a, a serious investment in time and effort. Uh, and I know it's also fairly closely aligned to Cloud Foundation. So Cloud Foundation at the moment, I think, is at 2.1.2. Yeah, was the actual, the, the, the live, or the, the latest version that they've announced right at VMworld. Yeah, 2.2. All right, so 2.2 has just come out. Yeah. So, so with Cloud Foundation, so obviously Cloud Foundation is the, is the fundamental management, SDDC manager that's used for VX Rack. Uh, and that was how you could only buy it. Now you can obviously use it as a product. And if you want to uh, have an engineered solution with day two operations built in, right? Because really that's where you get the value, the day two operations. Um, you can do it yourself using vSAN ready nodes. Now the solution guardrails for Cloud Foundation are fairly narrow, right? Uh, validate, VMware validated designs also has solution guardrails that you kind of want to follow. Otherwise, what's the value? Yeah. So there's a lot of benefit there. Uh, and, and let's face it, at the moment, if you're standing up VMware software to find data center by hand, for me personally, it takes me five days to get it all stood up and then another five days to test it and customize it and whatnot. Right, and I'm a triple VCDX, I do this for a living. So for your standard average Joe working in IT, uh, it's going to take him a month at least yeah. to get it all working. So Cloud Foundation and VMware validated, validated designs takes a lot of that uncertainty out of it. You know, at least you know you're building a solution that's fully supported, right, if you stick within those guardrails. Yeah, because day zero and day one, you know, as we call it, right, was the, they were terrifying for a lot of folks. And it meant yeah. that we stripped out things like testing, you know, stripped out things like making sure doing full resiliency, you know, testing across yeah. the board, security testing. We kind of raced to production. And then day two became unruly. A nightmare. Yeah. 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 So for anyone that's listening to this podcast, if you're implementing a solution at all, emerging technologies, uh, well, in fact, even legacy technologies, you really do want to spend time after implementing to actually test and then soft launch. Don't jump straight into production. Even if you're an SMB, take the time, test it properly. Yeah, that's a, uh, if I could sell that as a service, the ability to hold off, <laughs> that, that in itself is, a, is one of the biggest challenges is because you see it there and you're like, oh, well, why don't we just put something on it? And it's this new shiny object. Yeah, no, it's not not recommended. <laughs> now, for the validated designs, you know, again, I, I kind of look in, and Cloud Foundation. I think I hearken back to Windows Data Center edition. I'm old enough to have lived through that. 
And it would, at the time, it only came on like the HP 9000s, like the huge rack scale systems that they would sell. It was OEM only. So it had a very, very hardened design spec. And what it meant was the entry point was high. And it also meant that people, it just never got adoption. However, it was still early days. We didn't truly have virtual, we didn't have virtualization. We had, these were to replace rack and stack or like shelf stack, you know, tower systems. So I think now, you know, VMware Cloud Foundation has a bit of a better chance at uptake because people are, we're all in with virtualization and beyond. Yeah. So Cloud Foundation, so the SDDC manager is being used by VxRack at the moment, right? So if you buy VxRack, it's a part of it. I know that Cloud Foundation is being used by IBM SoftLayer, right? And yep. I've got one customer in tennis uh, in Louisiana who is, we've just stood that up as part of uh, a professional services engagement. So this is a round tower thing for a, a, a medium-sized university. Um, so actually setting up Cloud Foundation takes a bit of time. And like I said, the solution guardrails are fairly limited. Like, for example, using vSAN ready nodes, uh, you, one of the interesting things we found out was that connecting to the 10 gig switch infrastructure, you can only use TwinAx. You can't use SFPs with fiber. Oh, wow. You've got to use TwinAx, right? So those are kind of some of the examples of if you don't plan it properly, you're going to get bitten, right? It's going to add additional time. So you have to image the clusters, which takes some time, but really where you're going to get the value of Cloud Foundation is day two operations. Yeah. Because if you've got a production software-defined software-defined data center, you've got to upgrade vSphere, vSAN, uh, NSX, vRealize Suite, however many components that you have there. It's a lot. That's a lot of work. Right? Yeah, when we've we've lived through that pain before. Remember, they would release and be like, "Oh, the new vSphere is ready." They're like, "Oh, yeah. but not it if you run VRA. Not if you run Horizon. Dear God, yeah. don't upgrade vSphere. It'll, it'll all kill everything else." <laughs> <laughs> and we they had to kind of get the rest of the ecosystem to catch up. Yeah. So another value to these validated designs. I mean, VCE was born of that idea, right? Is that exactly? Like, Engineered solution. That's exactly right. And Cloud Foundation is basically an engineered solution that you're doing yourself. Yeah. Because if you wanted a true engineered solution, you'd be going with VX Rack and you would also be buying uh, Dell EMC's Enterprise Hybrid Cloud, which is they come in and do the full cloud build for you, a hybrid cloud solution to yours. Yeah. Right. But obviously that's like being in Formula One racing, right? You those teams are not cheap, you know, you, you, you got to pay for it. But at least with Cloud Foundation, you can do it yourself. Um, and they're evolving. So at the moment from the vRealize suite, Cloud Foundation supports vRealize login, log Insight and VR Ops. Obviously, VRA is a big one that they need to support, right? Yeah. Uh, they support Horizon, but it was 6.2 with VCF 2.2. I'm not sure what's in there. But definitely one of the weaknesses of, uh, and this kind of makes sense, is when you deploy Cloud Foundation, whatever solution you're supporting needs to be um, from inception. You obviously can't integrate uh, components that are existing, right? which makes sense. It's kind of the chicken and the egg. So if you design it properly, 
uh, you can support a lot of the software-defined data center from Cloud Foundation if you buy into it at the right time, right? And then you really get the value of day two operations, particularly around upgrades. Yeah, you're buying stability and consistency, and yeah. and that's a price that people are willing to pay for nowadays, which is which is kind of cool. And it's funny that you can get it's all it's like IKEA, you know, like we've we know all the bits that are. You will send you a box full of goodies and and all the right tools, and uh, you just make sure you have TwinX along with your Allen key, and then you're you're good to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, the good thing with uh, IKEA, as long as you follow the instructions, you're good to go. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure that a lot of your uh, your deployment team ha- looks like the guy who's like pulling his hair out after he dropped his dropped the thing and made sure he, you got to have all the tools in hand but uh, it's cool so yeah i mean i'm excited i'm excited by what's ahead for all of us as an industry uh renee you know it's it's always great to kind of bounce these things off you and get a sense i like what you know your view on the announcements thanks for taking the time today uh, we'll definitely yeah, catch up again in the future. Uh, and what we'll do is maybe we'll catch up post Barcelona because that's coming out. You know, we're actually, this, this podcast is going to go out prior to Barcelona. So hopefully people are listening to it on their way to Spain, uh, on that long flight. And, uh, then we can give them a bit of a catch up on the second generation announcements because there always are, they have to save yeah. some for, yeah. for that one. You know, any predictions as to what we may see there? Um, no, well, I was expecting a few more end-user computing announcements. So may, normally they save that for Barcelona from memory. There's generally yeah computing announcements. It's funny, and I found that it's a very EUC-centric and forward-leaning uh, nation. Like a lot of the European nations, they kind of latched onto EUC really early, which is which is funny. Like yeah. You know, for whatever reason, they just they they just dug in on that one. Same with the Australian market. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of the reason for that is that your uh, enterprises in in Australia, in particular, are not that big. Same with New Zealand. So yeah. What, what what we call an enterprise in Australia is actually an SMB in the US. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> You're also running with a very limited headcount, right, and a limited budget. So anything that. Um, even though there's a little bit of risk involved, if they can do things more quickly and better, they're willing to embrace them. And that's the reason for, for such a large adoption of virtualization technologies, abstraction technologies in general. Would, a, uh, would centralization and like network bandwidth be a, a reason that they would target that as well? Because I know that's another you know, interesting challenge with a lot of, of the world. You know, they don't have big fat wires pulling into their houses like we do in North America that True. we take for granted. <laughs> yeah. So, so Australia is a country that, that is uh, the size of the lower 48, but instead of 325 million, it's only 21 million people. So it's very dispersed. So obviously that means that service providers can't provide the big fat pipes that we're used to here in the US and in Canada. So yeah, it's uh, an issue as well. Yeah. So definitely WAN, WAN optimization technologies and compression technologies uh, have a lot of value there. Nice. Excellent. Well, thanks for taking the time today, Renee. For folks that want to find you, uh, how do they uh, best reach you to ask questions and, and get in touch with you? Yep. So I'm on the Twitters at VCDX133 and blog at VCDX133.com.
Excellent. And of course, you can find me. I'm at Disco Posse on Twitter. You can reach out to uh, both Renee and I through the Green Circle community. Uh, we are under our monikers there. So Disco Posse and BCDX133. Uh, thanks for listening, folks. And we will uh, see you on the other side of Barcelona. And if you're listening to this very late in the year because you're just catching up, uh, don't forget to uh, subscribe to the podcast. And uh, hopefully, uh, if you have any show ideas, then let us know. Thanks very much. If you like what you heard here and want to hear much more, don't forget to subscribe to the GC On Demand podcast. You can go to gcondemand.io where you'll find the links in order to catch us in iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, and more. So go to gcondemand.io. Don't forget to rate us in your podcaster of choice and look for much, much more. Have a show idea? Tweet us at GC On Demand. Thanks for listening.